Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you here this morning. I enjoyed seeing your family scramble. I wasn't sure what that was going to be, but that, that looks like a really neat idea. You know, the, the hardest part of, of, this, of preparing for this message was, was trying to figure out what I'm supposed to say at the start of it. As a visiting minister, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't visited many churches, preached at many different churches, and uh, trying to remember the protocol. I think I'm supposed to say greetings from my church at Gladys to yours, which, which you definitely have those greetings. Um, anyway, it's been a blessing to be with you. Uh, it's, it's been neat to see the, the church that Wayne and Sharon attend, and um, I'm sure you all are a blessing to them. So let's go ahead and turn to First Thessalonians chapter 5. That's what we'll be studying this morning. First Thessalonians 5, just verses 16 through 24. Pretty much the, the tail end of, of this letter to the Thessalonian church. Verses 16 through 24 is all we'll be looking at this morning. I'm actually reading from the English Standard Version, but it's pretty much exactly the same in the New King James and I, I assume in the King James Version. I'll go ahead and read this. Verse 16, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Now I want us to focus on verse 23, and then we'll back up a bit. Verse 23 is is a brief but kind of radical prayer that the Thessalonian church would be completely sanctified. Paul wrote this. God inspired it. So in a sense, you could say this is God's prayer for the Thessalonian church. And I believe it's God's prayer for every church and every Christian that they would be completely sanctified. It's his goal. It's his goal for all of us. Unfortunately, it's not always our goal for ourselves. It's it's not always my top priority to be completely sanctified. We, We as Christians probably focus more on getting to heaven than we do focus on being completely sanctified. Which isn't how it should be. That's, that's God's goal for us. Verse 23 is the destination. Think of it as a journey. Verse 23 is the destination. This is where God wants to get you. And verse 24 says God is 100% committed to this. He who calls you is faithful. And then the verses that lead up to this, I'll start at verse 16 through, through 22. You could back up even more and go back to verse 12. But the verses that lead up to this prayer are things that we should be doing on the way, on this journey to complete sanctification. So I want to look a bit more at verse 23 and 24 and, and, and try to understand the meaning of it, and then we'll back up and look at some of the things we're supposed to be doing on the way. So verse 23, again, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, 
Or in the New English translation, it says, make you completely holy. Sanctification, holiness, interchangeable here. And so Paul is praying two things. Let me finish reading that verse. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is praying two things. He's requesting the God of peace himself to do two things. One involves change, that this Thessalonian church would change. Because they, turns out, they are not a perfect church. Tell the truth, they had some pretty major flaws but their young church, and Paul is pleased, has been pleased to get the report from Timothy that they're still faithful in spite of persecution. But they need to change. They need to keep growing. And so the second part of the prayer is, is that God would continue to preserve them, keep them holy, spirit, soul, and body blameless. And just maybe as we're thinking, Paul, do you realize how hard it is? Sometimes to be a Christian. I mean, this is, are you really, do you mean this? Uh, Are you living in realville? Is this possible? Then Paul says, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. I've wrestled with this passage a bit, to be honest, because on the one hand it sounds borderline impossible, but it is there. It's inspired, and it's really not that much different from what Paul says over in Ephesians 5 about God's goal for the church to present it without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Now, I don't claim to have verses 23 and 24 totally figured out, but there's a few things I think we can safely say about these two verses. One is that complete holiness is obviously... God's aim for us. This is, this is his goal for us. He's serious about this. He will surely do it, Paul says. And, and back in chapter 4, Paul said, This is the will of God, your sanctification. God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. It is God's will for us to be completely holy people. So that's one safe observation. The second one would be that we must be saying yes to God for this to happen Jesus is our shepherd. He leads us. He calls us. He doesn't drag us around. It says, he, he, he who calls you is faithful. He is calling, not dragging us. When Jesus spoke to the Laodicean church, he was knocking on the door, not knocking it down. So we have to keep saying yes to God for this to happen. That's the second fairly safe observation. Thirdly, I don't think Paul is talking about people reaching a state of spiritual flawlessness where they just don't even know what sin is anymore. I know some people that I think are pretty mature Christians and I don't think any of them would claim to be totally free from sin 100% of the time. I don't think that's what Paul's talking about. I think he's talking about people who've walked with Jesus long enough to have encountered those different areas of their lives that need to be surrendered to him, and they have surrendered it to him repeatedly, probably. I think holy people are those who are wholly surrendered. And finally, I would say that that blamelessness, this blamelessness Paul is talking about, 
is a product of walking in the light, abiding in Jesus, not being a perfect person. 1 John 1.7 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. That means we're going where Jesus wants us to go. And when we sin, we repent, we change direction, and we intend to do better. Verse 23 is a beautiful prayer, and it is God's will. It's what he wants for each of us individually. So now let's, look, let's back up and take a look at, at verses 16 through 22. So the, the destination is sanctification. Here are some things we need to do on the way. We do need to do some things, right? We've got a part to play. In Second Peter, where Peter is talking about anticipating a new heaven and a new earth, He says in chapter 3, verse 14, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Okay, so looking at verses 16 through 22, I'm just pulling out a few things, not not every single verse that we're going to put under the microscope. Verse 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You've got three always there. In essence, we rejoice always, pray without ceasing, which pretty much means always. Give thanks in all circumstances. We're always in some circumstance or another, so that would mean always. And then Paul says, this is God's will for you, which to me means this is a, this is a core value of God. This is what God wants to be, just the... the the characteristics, the flavors of his Christians. People that are following him are joyful, prayerful, thankful people. We're going to look at pray without ceasing, and then we'll look at rejoicing and thanksgiving, and then we'll move on to some of the other verses. So, so here's, here's the first thing we should be doing on this journey. Pray without ceasing. Now, there, there are two ways this admonition can be applied. One is to say... I should pray more often. I should probably pray more often. I mean, who's going to say no to that? No one's going to say, no, actually, I pray just enough. No, I should probably pray more often. But I want to look at this a little, little differently. I want to say our lives should be characterized by prayer. My life is characterized by certain things that I do on a routine basis. Like driving to work, making coffee, trying to get my children to share and stop fighting. It's a routine basis. Now, hopefully I pray more often than any of those things. But those are things that I do routinely that kind of characterize my life. What are some things you do that characterize your life? Maybe it's checking the weather. Maybe it's checking your email. Maybe it's doing the dishes, maybe it's the laundry. Those things ought to, prayer ought to fit right in with those things, except even more so. It needs to characterize your life. Make conversations with God frequent. If, if God was someone who could be surprised, and he's not, you wouldn't want him to be surprised that 
you're talking to him. So that's one way to, to, to observe this admonition, pray without ceasing. The other way to look at it is this. And, and maybe this is what Paul's driving at a little more. Nothing should interrupt my pattern of prayer. Like nothing should get in the way of my prayer life and make it stop. I shouldn't let anything make my prayer life cease. So if I'm discouraged, I, I should not allow that discouragement to get me to quit praying. I mean, what's better for discouragement than prayer? If I'm just incredibly busy, I shouldn't let that get in the way of prayer. Man, that is tough. But I really should not let that get in the way of my prayer life because I need that, that time of prayer to remind me uh, what's, for, what are the first things, what, what needs to come first, and have wisdom to get done what's most important. Uh, if God doesn't seem to be doing anything, I need to be praying about that too and not losing hope. Jesus teaches us to pray without losing hope. If life is just going along pretty well and there's no trouble on the horizon, that shouldn't cause me to stop praying. Someone who prays without ceasing is, is, is constantly acting out his belief that God without ceasing is also listening and caring and, and he's going to do something when we pray to him in faith. He's going to help me in some way. What should we be praying for? We should be praying for each other, our church, those in authority, the lost. Here's an especially good prayer that has blessed me. We just read it. It's verse 23. Try praying this one. Lord, sanctify me completely. Keep me blameless. Sanctify me completely. Because that... You know, if you pray that with sincerity, it's it's um it's a it's a real spiritual exercise. It's it's a surrender, and you know this is something that that God wants. You know this is in accordance with God's will. You don't even have to say if it's according to your will for this one. Sanctify me completely. All right, so let's look at giving thanks and rejoice and rejoicing. Rejoice always. Paul says, give thanks in all circumstances. Uh, these are things we need to be doing on our journey. One day last fall, I was coming out to my car after work, and and when I get to my car after work, probably most of you are the same way, I'm, I'm ready to go home. And so sure enough, um, I had left the key on or the lights on or something on, and it wouldn't start, wouldn't do anything. So that kind of thing is, is kind of a nuisance. It's, it's not a huge deal, but it is annoying. And so I was sitting there trying to figure out what to do, and I, I, I finally contacted one of my coworkers who, who come out and jumpstart my car. And I was sitting there. He, he said it was going to be 10 or 15 minutes. And so I decided to start working on my next sermon and, you know, make use of my time. So I, I had my Bible there, fortunately, and opened it up. And this, it was these verses. Give thanks in all circumstances. So that's pretty appropriate. Little, little illustration for me. Now, I don't think it means that we have to thank God for every circumstance we find ourselves in, but I think in every circumstance, we can, if you're a child of God, you, you can always find a reason to be thankful. I want us to just think for a minute, why does, why does God care about this? Why is it so important to Him that we be rejoicing 
and giving thanks in all circumstances. Why is this such a big deal to him? Why does he even care so much about this? Uh, I came up with a few reasons. One is simply that, that God is a person. It's accurate to call him a person. He's not human, but he is a person. He has feelings. He appreciates being thanked. Just like we like being thanked, thanked for things we do. Secondly, not being thankful is dishonoring. In Romans one twenty one, you'll see here a connection between thankfulness and honor. Romans one twenty one: For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Not being thankful is dishonoring, and spiritually, it's bad medicine. They became futile in their thinking. And thirdly, it's a powerful testimony to others. And I had to think of the account where Paul is on that boat that's about ready to go down, but he's gotten this promise from God that they're going to all be okay. And, and so after that, he, uh, let's see, what does he do? He urges them to take some food. And he says, today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having, having taken nothing Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. A little fellowship meal. And they were encouraged. They were, they, they, they were just impressed by his confidence and his thankfulness. In the middle of this terrible storm, these pagans on the boat were impressed by Paul's confidence in his God. Uh, the, the final reason I would give for being thankful and rejoicing is that it's, it's spiritually it's healthy for us. Uh, Philippians 4.6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything... By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so prayer and supplication and thanksgiving are a good way to deal with anxiety. So it's so so important for us as we're walking with God, we're on this journey to be thankful Christians. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, this is Colossians 2, 6, and 7, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So always be thankful and rejoice. Third thing we need to do is never tell the Spirit no. We're going to focus on verse 19. And I'm going to take this verse a little bit out of context. I apologize for that. But uh, I think I'm being true to the principle of the verse. Verse 19 says, Do not quench the Spirit. And quench means putting out something, extinguishing something. And obviously the Spirit is often the, uh, described as fire. Its activity is described as fire. And so Paul is using this word quench with that idea in mind. Now the Spirit, obviously, the Spirit, Holy Spirit cannot be put out, 
But its activity can be quenched. We can silence it. It's not a freight train. It's not insistent. We can silence it. We can make it quiet down. And in this context, what Paul seems to be talking about is, seems to be especially with regard to prophecy because it goes on in verse 20. It says, Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. So prophecy would be some spirit-inspired pronouncement. Maybe about the future. Maybe it's about the, whatever situation the church is facing currently. Paul says, don't, don't quench the spirit. If, if, if one of you, if there's one of the Thessalonians is led by the spirit to speak, let him speak. Don't, don't put out that kind of activity. To those who are hearing, uh, make room for that to happen. But test it. Now, I'll be honest. I don't claim to understand everything about um, the gift of prophecy. And, but I can tell you here that the root issue in verse 19 is that the Spirit needs to be listened to. It, it needs to be told yes and not no. Telling it no or not now is effectively quenching and saying, no, I'm not interested in, in what you're saying. And when we apply this to our individual walk with the Spirit, it gets very practical. I think any time we're telling the Spirit no, we are we are quenching its activity, its fire in our lives, which we need more of and not less of. When we talk about quenching the Spirit, I had to think of um, Jack London's famous story, To Build a Fire. Has anyone read To Build a Fire? Surely, yes, there's few. Jack London. Living up here in Wisconsin, I would think everyone would read Jack London because these are dark northern stories. Uh, so this story uh, takes place in, in the Yukon. I think he wrote back in the 1920s or something uh, quite a while ago. This story takes place in the Yukon, which is basically Wisconsin, right? So this is a man... Hiking in sub-zero temperatures. It's 50 degrees below zero. Hiking in the Yukon. Under, he's kind of new to the area. He's underestimating uh, the condition, how dangerous the conditions are. His dog is with him. The dog is portrayed as being wiser than the man. And, and as he's hiking, he crosses this, this uh, stream and steps on a thin patch of ice. I guess there was... Uh, a spring underneath or something. So he steps on this thin patch of ice and falls through, climbs out the other side, realizes he needs a fire. So he tries to build a fire, gets, gets a small fire going, unfortunately makes the terrible mistake, which I'm sure none of you would make, of building this under a, a snowy branch, you know, a tree with, loaded with snow. So as the fire warms up, the snow starts to melt, suddenly comes all off the tree on the fire and puts it out. Pretty bad timing. So that now he's, um, he's, he's quickly trying to get this fire going again, but his fingers are too numb. And he can't get, he runs out of matches and he dies. This is kind of typical of Jack London. So I was thinking that maybe I came up with an alternative ending to this story. I thought, I thought it's fairly plausible. I thought um, we could have it go this way. The man um, is affected by hypothermia, and he gets the fire going, but.
But then, because he's kind of delirious, he starts thinking the fire is too hot. It's burning him, right? So he starts throwing clumps of snow on the fire to, to, to quiet, you know, you know, back off a little bit. And at some point, he throws on too much snow once, and he goes out, and he dies. So that's, that's the alternate, alternate ending to build a fire. Um, that's what I think of when I think of quenching the spirit. I mean, you need the fire of the spirit in your heart. And to tell the spirit no, especially if you're telling the spirit no repeatedly in one area of your life, I think that's pretty dangerous. So we don't want to go there. Don't quench the spirit. One of the things I know I need to do more often is instead of saying no to the spirit, be actively asking God, what do you want me to do in this situation? It's not that complicated. Just ask God, how do you want me to be using this free time that I've got? How, how should I be relating to this coworker who is annoying me or whatever, this relationship? Ask God for his leading. That's what we should be doing instead of saying no to the Spirit. All right, and then we come to verses 21 and 22. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So where we fall short on this command, I think, is not so much with the what. Because I think we generally have a pretty good idea of what is good and what is not so good. I think more often we struggle with um, how, how well we're holding fast to something instead of a firm grip on the steering wheel. Maybe it's a very casual kind of two fingers on the wheel. And then maybe we're not doing a great job of abstaining from every form of evil. Maybe we're abstaining from the most blatant, blatant forms, the ones we couldn't get away with. Uh, maybe we entertain some some inner ones, or maybe we entertain some forms of evil that are just seem a little more borderline and not so obviously wrong. So that's what I think of when I look at these verses. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. Uh, this is uh, we had a we had a visiting minister to our uh, in our area back in the fall, and one of the things he emphasized was confess Jesus is Lord. When it counts, you know, say it when it counts. And, and, and that means when you are confronted with a choice between right and wrong, that's when your confession really matters. Confess that Jesus is Lord. Make it say, Jesus, you are Lord of my life, and I'm going to do the right thing here. This is a huge part of getting us to where God wants us to be. And abstain doesn't just mean stay away from evil influences. It also means don't do evil things. And, and he's not just talking about don't kill people. He's talking about, you know, that when you're having a really bad day and your nerves are just shot, Or you're trying to pack to go somewhere and you're already behind schedule. And somebody says something that annoys you or 
irritates you or whatever and you snarl at them, that's not really abstaining from every form of evil. It's not holding fast to what is good. Uh, you could even apply this to church attendance. Let's say I just stay home from church because I don't feel like going and I really have no valid reason for staying home, but I just don't want to go. That's not really holding fast to what is good. Uh, you could apply this to food. We've been on vacation, so this is a near. Uh, this is close to home for me. I mean, you know, what do you do with that 18-ounce bag of chips? Kettle fry, potato chips. What are you, you know, are you going to hold fast to that? That might be one you should put down after after a bit. You know, this this gets very practical. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. So let's let's recap this just a bit. Uh, God is calling us to a a place of complete sanctification and he is committed to making it happen and and he is the only reason that uh, we are are becoming, we are growing at all as Christians. He is the only reason that we have any hope for growth. He is committed. He is faithful. Our part is to pray without ceasing, always give thanks and rejoice, always say yes to the Spirit, Hold fast to what is good. Stay away from every form of evil. God bless you on your journey.
things that stood out to me is um, two forms of communication, prayer and um, keeping in touch with the Spirit. You know, it's kind of like if you think of an army, um, a young man in the army, and he doesn't have any communication with his base, with direction in life, in, in for what he's supposed to do, he's not going to be very effective. And it's the same way for us. If we think we can go through life um, without a constant staying in touch with God, with the Spirit to guide us, um, we have a we have a surprise coming because we need to we need to keep that communication, we need to keep that contact to be a successful Christian. I'll open it up this time. Are there any um, testimonies or anything that stood out to you in the message this morning?
Okay, I'd like to thank Brother Gillen for sharing this morning. Appreciate the willingness to do so. And um, before we stand for prayer, just just a bit of advice for the young men. Um, Wayne did it right. Um, you know, her family has a lot of ministers in it, even her dad. So, you guys, if you need any, you know, if you want to figure out how to do it, just go talk to Wayne. I'll have some good advice for you. Okay, let's stand for prayer, and I'm going to remember the noon meal at the same time. Everyone is welcome to stay and share in the meal. Dear Lord, we come before you this morning. We thank you for this time we could have together this morning. Thank you for the spiritual food that you brought us through the brother. Just pray as we go from here that we could, that we would remember these practical applications for our lives and that we would allow them to make a difference in our lives. Pray also this morning for the food that we have prepared for our physical bodies. I just pray that you would bless each of the hearts and hands that had a part in doing that and bless the food to our bodies. I ask these favors and blessings in your name according to your will. You're dismissed.